0: Today, then we begin the chapter, "باب من الشرك لبس الحلقة والخيط ونحوهما لرفع البلاء أو دفعه." The chapter that it is from Shirk to wear al halqa Wal khayt, meaning the various forms of the bands and bracelets but we'll get to those details in the chapter. And other than that, from the various items people wear, لرفع البلا, to remove some harm from themselves, أو دفعه, or to prevent harm coming to them. The chapter regarding how it is from shirk to wear, bands and bracelets and other affairs similar to that, believing that they will remove harm from you or that they will prevent harm coming to you. So who wants to read the chapter to begin with?
1: باب من الشرك لبس الحلقة والقيت ونحوهما لرفع البلاء أو دفعه وقاله تعالى قل أفرأيتم ما تدعون من دون الله إن أرادني, إن أرادني الله بضر هل هن كاشفا تضره الآية عن إمران بن حسين رضي الله عنه أن عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم رأى رجلا في يده حلقة من صفر فقال ما هذه قال قال إن فإنها لا تزيدك إلا وحنا فإنك لو ميتا وهي عليك ما أفلحت أبدا وراه أحمد بسند لا بأس به وله أن أقبت ابن عامر رضي الله مرفوعا من تعلّك تميمة فلا أتم الله له ومن تعلّك ودعة فلا ودى الله له وفي لفظ من تعلّك تميمة فقد أشرب وَعَنُهُ ثَيْفٌ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنَّهُ رَأَى رَجُلًا فِي يَدِهِ مِّنَ الْحُمَّةِ فَقَطَاهُ وَتَعْفْوَةَلَىٰ قَوْلُهُ تَعَالَىٰ وَمَا يُؤْمِنُ أَكْثَرَهُمْ بِاللَّهِ إِلَّا وَهُمْ مُشْرِكُونَ رَوَاهُ إِنْ أَبِهَاتٍ
0: So in the introduction to the chapter As-Shaykh Al-Fawzan Hafizahullah Ta'ala begins by mentioning وَقَوْلُهُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ بَابٌ مِنَ الشِّرْكِ اَيْ مِنْ أَنْوَاعِ الشِّرْكِ So this chapter is now going to discuss one of the types of shirk. There are many different actions a person could perform or fall into that would be categorized as shirk. This chapter is going to deal with one such action that is classified as an action of shirk and that is لُبْسَ wa وَالْخَيْطِ وَنَحْوِهِمَا Wearing strings or bracelets believing that they are going to remove harm from you or prevent harm from you. And these items the Sheikh says, مما يعلق على البدن أو على الدابة أو على السيارة أو على الأبواب من الأشياء التي يعتقدون فيها أنها تدفع عين الحاسد وأنها تحرس البدن أو تحرس الدابة أو تحرس السيارة أو البيت أو المتجر من الشرور والمحاذير Various types of items, strings and bracelets and other than that that the people may attach to their own bodies or they may attach them to their animals or they may attach them in their cars or on their doors of their homes believing that these items that they attach will be able to push away the evil eye of the one who envies them and that they will safeguard their body or safeguard their animal or safeguard their car or their house or their business from evils. These are the various types of items that people may wear themselves or they attach them in their cars or on the front doors of their homes or onto their animals, their cows and their sheep, believing that these necklaces or strings or bracelets, that they have something within them, there is something about them, that will prevent the evil eye coming to those items where they attach them onto, including themselves, and that they will protect these items from harm and evil coming to them. إلي and this type of practice It is a practice from the pre-Islamic times, from the jahiliyyah, that they used to do these types of things, attach strings and necklaces and bracelets, amulets and talismans. We're going to get to all of those in these chapters. They would attach these items onto their animals, their homes, themselves, their children, Believing that these items will protect them and safeguard them. And the more ignorance there exists, then the more of these practices begin to occur amongst the people. وعلى السيارات والدكاكين والبيوت قصدهم من ذلك أن هذه الأشياء تدفع عنهم الشرور والمحاذير So people they attach things to their own bodies the Shaykh says wearing things on their necks or on their wrists and they attach these things to their children making them wear them or to their cars and their shops and their houses and their animals Believing that these items will keep the harm away. But in reality, This act would be deemed from the acts of shirk. Why? لأنه تعلق على غير الله. Because the person who does that, then he has made his attachment, his connection, his trust and dependence in other than Allah into these items instead of having his connection and trust in Allah. He has put his connection and trust and dependence into these items. They will protect him from the evil eye and the evils from coming to him. And so as a consequence, that is deemed as an act of shirk. More detail regarding that, one of the reasons is because if people make up means that are not actually means to something, then that can be deemed as an act of shirk How do we know if something is a legislated means to something? Because if it is a legislated means to something, then it is of course permissible. And not only that, but more than permissible, you should take the legislated means. But how do we know if something is a legislated means or not? If they come and say, but these bands and these strings, these are legislated means for protection from the evil eye, how can we explain to them that these are not legislated means? Obviously, all the evidences are going to prove it. But generally speaking, means are determined in two overall ways. If you want to establish... Whether something is a means or not, then there are two types of means overall, overall, loosely and broadly speaking. One of them is clearly and obviously what we find in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. If in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, we've been told such and such is a means, That you can take towards this or that or whatever the affair may be Then you take those means and you can implement those means They are established as asbab, as means in the texts That's clear, no problem with that The second broad method of accepting something and acknowledging it as a means is what then? Not consensus. Tested and tried. A Tajruba. If something is known through experience. If something is known through experience, tested and tried, that if you do X, Y, and Z, then it is a means to achieving X, Y, and Z. It's like some of the scholars, they say, farmers know exactly when to put the seeds into the ground, what time of the year. They know exactly what time of the year to put their seeds into the ground. And they know exactly what time of the year to do the plowing and to do the various different acts in order to get to a particular time of the year when the harvest is at its best. Some scholars say, these are means in terms of the timings and how they do it which are tested and tried in agriculture for example so nobody can say well why are you planting your seeds at this time of the year put your trust in allah put them in next month you say no we have means established and proven that if you plant them at this time of the year then the way that the rain is and the soil is and how the seasons change, etc., etc., that will bring out the best harvest. So now that is tested and tried and it is known. So that is acceptable. That is not shirk and that is not dependence and reliance in affairs that are not established and means that are not established. They are established. Sow the seeds at this time of the year. Do the the agriculture, the cultivation All the various parts of that process At certain times and in certain ways Take those means in your farming And you will come out with the best harvest <clears throat> Tested and tried So if something is tested and tried Something is known through experience To have a direct impact on something Then that can be Uh, uh, Accepted and acknowledged as a means So now with these types of things You see them wearing a piece of string Or some type of bracelet Or some type of necklace Some type of amulet All these Islamic means Have we been told in the Quran and the Sunnah To wear these items And that they will be a means of protection for you We have not, in fact, we've been told the complete opposite. If they are not Islamic means, could it be said that they are tried and tested means in the creation? That there's no text for them? But in creation we've done this and we've done that, and they are tried and tested. If you wear these things, we notice those people are kept safe and no harm comes to them. Tried and tested with these things. Is that the case or not? Absolutely not. So these items that they wear cannot be said to be a means neither legislatively, from the Sharia point of view, and neither from Tajruba, from experience that people wear a piece of string and now you're safe, and now the evil eye doesn't come to you. Not even in practice is that something which is established. So in that regard, the people who do this are making a means in that which Allah has not made a means out of. So then you start falling into elements of shirk that you are now declaring certain means to a goal that Allah has not declared them to be so You say this string will protect you from the evil eye, from envy, from this, from that. And Allah has not informed us at all whatsoever that wearing a piece of string is a means to protect you from the evil eye. So these can become forms of shirk in that way. What type of shirk is it though if somebody wears a piece of string or some necklace or some bracelet Believing this keeps away the evil eye, keeps away the harm from him, or if some harm has come to them, believes it will take it away from him. The person who does that, what type of shirk has he committed? Is it a shirk al-asghar or is it al-akbar? Minor shirk or major shirk making him kafir? So it depends on the aqidah of that person. If a person wears these items believing that they are a means independently in and of themselves, separate from Allah, then that is of course major shirk. If he believes these items independently in and of themselves, have some power to protect him from the evil eye, to remove harm from him, then that is major shirk. But if a person in his aqeedah knows that these items independently in and of themselves do not have any ability to do that, but that he believes they are a means that will lead to that conclusion, They are a means that will protect me from the evil eye, but ultimately it goes back to Allah. So this person doesn't believe they independently do anything. He believes Allah is in control, but he believes these are means to it. And we've just established they are not means, neither legislatively nor in a creational sense. So that would be at the level of minor shirk. So it depends on the aqidah of a person regarding wearing these amulets or these uh, uh, bracelets and strings and other things on the aqidah of the individual. So then al-Shaykh al-Fawzan, he mentions here regarding the chapter title to start with, لِلْرَفِعِ الْبَلَاءِ Meaning to remove harm after it has occurred to you and دَفِعِ is to prevent it before it even comes to you. So they wear these things for those two goals and objectives. Either to remove harm that has already come to them, or to prevent harm from coming to them in the first place. And when we talk about harm, harm can be poverty. It could be poverty, loss of all of their wealth, it could be disease, loss of their health, it could be other forms of harm in their livelihoods, in their families, in their businesses, any type of harm, that they wear these items to either prevent that harm or to remove it if it has already occurred. So, the first ayah, that الشَّيْخُ مُحَمَّدٌ بْنُ عَبْدِ الْوَهَّابِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى مِنْ here وَقَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى قُلْ مَا تَدْعُونَ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ إِنْ أَرَادَنِي اللَّهُ بِضُرٍّ هَلْ هُنَّ i n this ayah the opening section of it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says قُلْ أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ here It's not just a question of vision Have you seen? The actual detail of that When it is said Have you seen these things that you are calling upon? It's not just a question of have you seen? There's a meaning behind that and the meaning behind that is a kind of challenge to them. Meaning, أَخْبِرُونِي Tell me about these others that you call upon besides Allah. Meaning, you see them, you see them, tell me about them. Tell me about these others who you are calling upon besides Allah. So in this case, the meaning of it is, أَخْبِرُونِي Tell me, مَا تَدْعُونَ مِن دون الله. These that you are calling upon besides Allah, in Aradani Allahu bi if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted some harm upon me, decreed some harm from poverty or loss of health or wealth or other affairs, would these other items, these so-called deities, would they be able to remove that harm that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees upon me from these idols and statues and trees and stones and graves and shrines, all of these others that you call upon besides Allah? If Allah was to decree some matter upon me from the loss of my wealth or my health or death, or the loss of a beloved one or a relative, any of those affairs of difficulty and hardship, if they were decreed upon me, هَلْ هُنَّ Would they be able to remove that harm? These items that you are clinging on to, these others that you're putting your trust and dependence into, would they be able to remove the harm that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Decrees upon me This is of course Sual istinkar Wa nafi It is a question But these questions in the Quran Are not there just for the sake of a question Because the answer is already obvious The answer is already obvious Those other deities of course Cannot at all Remove the harm From the one who calls upon them If Allah has decreed harm upon that person They cannot So what is the purpose of the question Can they remove the harm If Allah decrees harm upon me The purpose of these types of questions Is a rebuttal Istinkar It is a rebuke upon them You're asking the question Whereby the answer is obvious and clear And the one being asked knows that he knows the answer is no they cannot so the question is there as a form of rebuke upon them as a form of rebuke and negation of what they were doing in putting their trust and their attachment of their hearts to others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَلِذَلِكَ الشَّيْخَ الْفَوْزَانِ mentions المُشْرِكُونَ يَمْرَضُونَ وَيُقْتَلُونَ وَيُصَابُونَ وَتَذْهَبُ أَمْوَالُهُمْ وَلَا تَسْتَطِيعُ مَعْبُودَاتُهُمْ أَن تَدْفَعَ عَنْهُمْ شَيْئًا نَزَلَ مِنَ اللَّهِ عزَّ وَجَل The Mushrikun they were afflicted with disease and ill health they would become ill they would be killed they would be afflicted by other affairs in their wealth or their families or their children. And was it the case ever that these others that they call upon besides Allah ever stopped those affairs occurring to the mushrikun? The other idols that they call upon or these strings and amulets, were they ever able to stop any of the harm coming upon the mushrikun? from poverty or health or loss of a beloved one, whatever the affair may be, they were never able to stop what Allah had decreed. And likewise, اَوْ أَرَادَنِي rahma هَلْ هُنَّ مُمْسِكَاتُ رحمته؟" Or, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed some mercy upon me from good health, or from wealth and from the other forms of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon an individual. If Allah decreed that mercy upon me, good health, good wealth, whatever it may be, then are they, these others besides Allah, are they capable of withholding that mercy of Allah to come upon me? Are they able of preventing? Are they able to prevent that goodness from coming to me? And again, the question is a form of rebuke upon them that they are not capable of doing that whatsoever. So the ayah here is very clear. Qul, say, meaning Allah is saying to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, say to them. ...to the mushrikun... ...inform me... ...of what you call upon besides Allah... ...from the idols and trees and everything they called upon... ...tell me about these others... That you have your attachment to If Allah decreed some harm upon me Could they stop it And if Allah decreed some good for me Could they prevent it And the answer of course is no They are not able to do that whatsoever Qul hasbi Allah Then in that case say Hasbi Allah Allah is sufficient for me then Allah is sufficient for me وَعَلَيْهِ يَتَوَكَّلُ الْمُتَوَكِّلُونَ Upon Allah, those who put their trust, put their trust in. المتوكلون, those who put their trust into what? They put their trust into Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They do not put their trust into a necklace they are wearing or a bracelet that they are wearing. Or a piece of string hanging from their wrist. They do not put their trust into those items and connect their heart and attach it to those items. Rather they put their trust in Allah and Allah is sufficient for them. al Allah. <laughs> Allah is sufficient for me. And, alayhi <laughs> yatawakkalul mutawakkilun. Upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those who put their trust in Him, they put their trust in Him. They do not put their trust in others besides Him. فَلَا يَتَوَكَّلُونَ عَلَى الْحَلْقَةِ وَالْخَيْرِ وَالصَّنَمِ وَالْقَبْرِ وَالْوَلِيِّ أَوْ غَيْرِ ذَلِكَ بَلِ الَّذِي يَتَوَكَّلُ عَلَيْهِ هُوَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى لِأَنَّهُ بِيَدِهِ مَقَادِيرُ الْأَشِياءِ So the true believers do not put their trust into rings and bracelets and necklaces or idols or graves or shrines or tombs or as they say awliya, these people are awliya. They do not put their trust into those others, rather they put their trust in Allah alone because all of the affairs, they are in the control of Allah alone. فَالْأُمُورُ كُلُّهَا مَرْجِعُهَا إِلَى اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَىٰ So all of the affairs, they return back to Allah. Every matter, all of the affairs, they return back to Allah. فَهُوَ الَّذِي يَسْتَحِقْ أَنْ يُعْبَدْ So Allah is the one who is deserving of being worshipped alone. وَأَنْ يُتَوَكَّلَ عَلَيْهِ and that you put your trust in him wa an and that he is the one who's deserving to be called upon wa yurja and to have your hope in wa yukhaf and to fear from wa ma adahu fa innahu khalq min khalqillah and anything besides him then that is all from the creations a creation from the creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala In wa in all of these other affairs in creation, they are creations of Allah. If Allah decrees that something from these creations overcomes you. So some harm occurs to you via something in creation, then so be it if Allah decrees that upon you. And if Allah does not and prevents that harm from you, then Allah decrees that. ما في الأرض من الأشرار من بني آدم ومن الشياطين ومن الجن ومن الإنس ومن الحيات والصداع ومن سائر الأشياء الضارة Huluhabiyadilla subhanahu wa ta'ala. So look at what the Sheikh al fawzan says here now. Everything on this earth from the evils everything on this earth from the evils uh, uh, from the humans, the evil ones from the humans, from the Shayateen of the Jinn and the humans, and from snakes. And other predatory animals, whatever we may view as harmful to us, all of those things in creation are under the control of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Insha'a, sallataha alaika wa insha'a, amsakaha anka. And so if Allah wills, He allows and decrees that something from these affairs of creation may overwhelm you and overcome you and harm you. And if Allah wills, then He withholds those affairs in creation from overcoming you and overwhelming you. And that's why, as Shaykh al rahimahullahu ta'ala mentioned, when you see harms occurring to the Muslims, then do not jump to only the worldly conclusions do not jump to only the worldly conclusions as the Ikhwanis do, this ruler did this and that ruler did that and it's all his fault and that ruler he made this treaty and this agreement with that Kafir ruler it's all his fault this happened to the Muslims, worldly conclusions he did this and they did that and this politics and this economics the sheikh said, don't just jump to all of these worldly conclusions and that's all you see when some harm overcomes the Muslims or the Muslim Ummah because there is another perspective to think about which is connected to this. Who is the one that controls all of the affairs and including if some harm has come then who is it that decreed that affair? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the Shaykh said, the other angle that people neglect and they forget is the shari'i angle of things that if you see some harm occurring, then stop to think for a moment from the shari'i perspective, we as Muslims, have we fallen short on some affair? Why has Allah allowed The evil to overcome us and overwhelm us in this affair, that affair, whatever the affair may be in the worldly matters. Think about it from the shari'i angle also. Are we ourselves in shortcoming, in sin, in wrongdoing, in departure from the practice of the Qur'an and the sunnah? What is it that has allowed this to occur? And why has Allah decreed and allowed this to occur those are matters for a person to ponder over also rather than the Ikhwani way it's the ruler his fault it's this fault it's that fault and they did this and they did that and we need to go and demonstrate and yet all of you who are going to demonstrate barely half of you pray your five prayers every day so the Shaykh said think carefully about these affairs as Shaykh Al-Fawzan says here now All of the evils of the earth, the harms that occur, they're all under the control of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah wills, He allows that to overwhelm you and to uh, cause harm upon you. And if Allah wills, He prevents that and holds that back, withholds it from you. So if that is the case, فَلَا تَخَافَ مِنْ غَيْرِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ if that is the case, then you have no reason to fear anyone else. Your fear is only from Allah. He is the one that controls all of the decree and what occurs 50,000 years before the creation of this creation. كَتَبَ اللَّهُ مَقَادِيرَ الْخَلَائِقِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَخْلُقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ بِخَمْسِينَ أَلْفَ سنة. وَعَرْشُهُ عَلَى الماء. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Wrote the decree of all of that Which is to occur 50,000 years Before the creation of the heavens and the earth And in the other narration أَوَّلَ مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ الْقَلَمِ قَالَ, له أكتب قال ما أكتب كُلَّ مَا هُوَ كَائِنٌ إِلَى When Allah created the pen, Allah said to the pen, Write! The pen said, What shall I write? Allah said, Write all of that which is to occur, which is going to happen, till the day of judgment. So there is nothing which occurs in this world except that it is within the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is nothing which occurs outside of the decree of Allah. And that's why even now in these affairs, recently all this COVID and everything, at the beginning of it all, what was the message as Sheikh al-Fawzan mentioned right at the beginning before any of these discussions and debates of the last 18 months even existed? The first thing he said was, all of this is by the decree of Allah, so make sure you raise your hands and make dua to Allah regarding this affair. How many people remember that? All you, rem- all you hear is, but the, the pharmaceutical and this one and that one and this one and that one, and you can go around for hours and hours. And within that hours and hours, there will be no mention of the fact of what we are talking about here that all of this is by the decree of Allah, whatever it is, whatever, however, all of it is by the decree of Allah. And so the scholars, they said from the beginning, it's going to go one of two ways, your issue and your affair. Either you return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these affairs and these cases and scenarios and whatever is occurring, and then you will hope that Allah brings you ease out of these affairs, and brings you goodness out of these affairs, and an exit from these affairs, or you become negligent of that, and you traverse upon a pathway forgetting, that all of this is the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever happens, however it happens, whoever is doing whatever they are doing, nobody is doing anything except that it is by, and within the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so a person, when he recognizes that, he realizes there is no one to fear except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that he puts his complete trust and dependence and reliance in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah mentioned in the Quran, قدير, That you control you have, O oh Allah, all of the goodness, and you are all capable upon everything. All of the goodness is controlled by Allah. There is nobody in creation who can give you goodness except if it be decreed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And likewise the opposite, no harm can come to you, except that it is decreed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why in that famous hadith, it is mentioned, Lo أن الناس اجتمعوا على أن bi بشيء. لَمْ يَضُرُّوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ If all of the people they combined and they united to do some harm to you, they would not be able to unless it was something that Allah decreed upon you. And the opposite, وَلَوْ اِجْتَمَعُوا عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَنْفَعُوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَنْ يَنْفَعُوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ If all of the people they gather and they unite, to try and do some good for you, they would not be able to. All of the people, they unite, to do that good for you, they won't be able to. Unless it is something decreed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for you. So in this opening section, the first evidence, قُلْ أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ الله. Inform us of what you call upon besides Allah. Are they able to stop any harm if Allah decrees it? Are they able to prevent any goodness for you if Allah decreed it? And of course the answer is an absolute no to all of that. And therefore that first evidence highlights that your attachment should be to no one or anything except to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone because He alone is the one who can give you And he alone is the one who can prevent from you. Then the second evidence mentioned here. عَنْ عِمْرَانِ بْنِ حُسَيْنِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ رَأَى رَجُولًا فِي يَدِهِ حَلْقَةٌ مِّن صُفْءٍ فَقَالَ مَا هَذَا قَالَ مِنَ الْوَاهِنَةِ فَقَالَ فَإِنَّهَا لَا تَزِيدُكَ إِلَّا وَهْنَا فَإِنَّكَ لَوْ مِتَّ وَهِيَ عَلَيْكَ مَا أَفْلَحْتَ أَبَدًا رَوَاهُ أَحْمَد بِسَنَدٍ لَا بَأْسَ بِهِ In this second evidence hadith here reported by Imran ibn Hussein ibn Ubaid al-Khuzai, him and his father were both companions. Him and his father were both companions from the best of the companions. So he reports, Imran ibn Hussein reports that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam saw a man and that man was wearing a band, a type of bracelet made from sufar like a, a, a bronze or a copper type of material. On his wrist, so the Prophet ﷺ said to him, "What is this? What is this? What are you wearing? Why are you wearing it? What is this?" So the man said, "Min al wahina, al wahina, a type of ailment, a type of uh, weakness that occurs in the muscles in the hand, a type of weakness that occurs there." He said, "It's because of that I have this problem, this weakness." this type of disease in my hand and my arm and so I'm wearing this for that because he believed that this may be a means to strengthening his hand and removing that weakness. So when he told the Prophet that, the Prophet said to him, in Zahra, this verb in Arabic, "naza'a," doesn't just mean take it off. What do they say to you in the English? Who's got the English book? What's the English word they use for it? Remove, it? remove it and take it off. In reality, that's not the most accurate way to explain it. Remove it and take it off. That's the meaning, but it's not precise. Naza'ah and inzaha in this hadith, it means more like closer to rip it off. Which is a bit different to saying to somebody, remove it. How is it different when you say rip it off? It indicates a lot more severity in the affair And they say this verb like this زعها, It's like the Prophet was telling him Get rid of it right now Remove it right now Rip it off right now Because it will not increase you Except in more weakness it will not increase you, it will not strengthen you, except strengthen you in more weakness. If you die wearing this, then you will not be successful ever. So in the explanation, As-Shaykh al-Fawzan says that the Prophet saw a man wearing this, Some of the scholars they say that it's possible Imran ibn Hussein himself was that man. Some of the scholars they've mentioned it's possible from some of the variations of the narration that it may have been this companion Imran ibn Hussein himself who was the man that the Prophet saw. And maybe not, but that is what some of them mentioned. So the Prophet saw this man and he was wearing this band, some type of bracelet looped onto his wrist. And so the prophet said to him, "What is this?" And this shows to you, the sheikh says, or some of the scholars have mentioned on that point, that this indicates, when it comes to the affairs of al-amr bil-ma'aruf wa-nahi anil-munkar, enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, that the first fundamental of that is that you must be upon knowledge of an affair is this affair actually an evil such that it needs to be rebuked? So the Prophet ﷺ was inquiring to start with, why is this man wearing this? Is there some reason that could be incorrect and false? Or is there some other reason that would be mubah maybe? So the Prophet ﷺ made the inquiry first, didn't rebuke him assuming that he's wearing it for some evil aqidah uh, or anything, made the inquiry first. Why are you wearing this? So this indicates that a person does not rush into the affairs, does not become hasty into the affairs, doesn't jump in first and begin enjoying the good and forbidding the evil without establishing what the situation is. And that's like the example we've mentioned before, As sheik al said, you see somebody sitting down and praying an obligatory prayer. Which we know by default is not correct because one of the pillars of the prayer is to stand. You see somebody praying an obligatory prayer sitting down. The Sheikh says, don't just go and rebuke him. What are you doing? You've missed a pillar, invalid, etc., etc. First, go and establish why he is sitting down. Because maybe in his particular circumstance, he has an Islamic justification for sitting down and praying. And we know the narration the Prophet mentioned, if you are not able to stand, then pray, fasali qaidan. Then pray sitting down. If you were to go and rebuke him, but then he tells you, but I cannot stand up because of some knee problem or something I got diagnosed with, I cannot move it, I cannot do this, I cannot do that. That's why I'm sitting down. So now have you got anything to enjoy the good and forbid the evil upon? No. Hence the sheikh said, and the sheikh says here, that this indicates how the Prophet would inquire about an affair first, rather than, as the people they do, jump in with two feet straight away. Such and such said something, he must have meant X, Y, and Z, we have to refute him. Not that quickly, especially if it is between, like we've said before, Ahlul Sunnah. Have the good thoughts of one another, have the good suspicions of one another, and make the excuses for one another. That is what is required between Ahlul Sunnah. So here the Shaykh says, the Prophet ﷺ didn't just say to Imran ibn Hussein, if it was him, straight away rebuke him and tell him it's wrong. Rather he inquired, Maybe there was some other reasoning behind it But then when he inquired And he found out that actually It is because he's wearing it Believing that it's a means To curing that weakness in his hand So then Now it has become an affair Of him wearing something Which is not a legislated Or even creational sense It is not a means that is not a means to removing that ailment that disease that weakness of the limbs of the wrist of the hand so now it became clear that he is doing something that is not permissible and that it is a door to shirk and a type of shirk this action so the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to him in za'ha nazu like we said, basically, rip it off. Get rid of it. Remove it instantly. So the Prophet ﷺ was telling him, rip it off straight away. Don't take your time casually taking it off because this is something that is indicative of an action of shirk. And you do not want to waste time with something that is an apparent action of shirk. You want to get rid of that from yourself immediately and with haste. So this indicates that you hasten to removing any act of shirk or anything indicative of shirk, you remove that instantly and don't take your time on those affairs. Then the Prophet صلى الله عليه explained to him. First, he told him to rip it off. It's an action of shirk. Get rid of it. Then he explains to him what the issue is in the action that he was doing. He tells him, فَإِنَّهَا لَا تَزِيدُكَ إِلَّا وَهْنًا أي إِلَّا ضَعْفًا فَالْوَهْنَ معنَاهَا الضَعْف والمَرَض That if you keep this on and therefore have your heart attached to this that if I wear this Band this item on my hand, on my wrist, that will cure my hand and this disease I have in my hand. Just a piece of metal on your hand, just this band, which is not a legislative means. It is not a creational means that is tested and tried that wearing a piece of band will remove the disease from your hand. So it is not a means. The Prophet tells him, if you keep this on, it will increase you in weakness. That could mean increase you in the physical weakness of your hand, although that is a secondary meaning. The primary meaning of it will only increase you in weakness is in your Iman Tawheed, in your heart. That your heart, you as a person, will become weaker and weaker because you're putting your attachment, your Tawakkul into this thing And this thing can do nothing for you. You're putting your trust into that. It will only weaken you further and further. And this is like the example of the people who wear these amulets and necklaces and bands and strings. And they have their attachment to them. If that was removed from them. If it was removed from them. Would they not now suddenly feel more scared? I haven't got my thing on me. Now, they would increase in their fear. Now, maybe the evil eye will come, maybe this will happen, maybe that will happen. Their hearts are weak because they have attached them to this. And so if you remove that, now the fear overcomes them. I haven't got my string. I haven't got this. And the kuffar, like they say, I haven't got my lucky charm. So now without that, all of a sudden, they are worried and fearful and concerned. So, The Prophet tells him, if you keep it on, you're only going to become weaker and weaker inside. You're only going to become weaker in your heart because you're putting your trust into this instead of putting your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is also something we're going to see in the narrations coming up, that those who put their trust into these affairs, hoping for some good result from them, then the reality that occurs and Allah decrees is that they end up with a worse result as a consequence. They aim for the good out of it, believing there's good in it, but in reality they are given and end up with worse out of it. So the Prophet tells him, if you keep it on, you're only going to be in a greater state of worry and concern and weakness. Those types of people who trust in these affairs, you find them always in a state of worry and concern, and they don't have that peace of heart, peace in their hearts. So then the Prophet tells him, فَإِنَّكَ لَوْ مِتَّ وَهِيَ عَلَيْكَ مَا أَفْلَحْتَ أَبَدًا That if you die, and you're still wearing this, then you will not be successful. If you die wearing this, you will not be successful. This indicates that the actions, your actions are judged by their the khawatim, by the conclusion. Meaning if a person was upon Tawheed all of his life, but then, la Qaddar Allah. at the end of his life, he falls into shirk and apostates and whatever, then that end action of his that he dies upon will be what he is judged upon. And the other way too, a person lives their life upon shirk, but then on their final breath, they accept Tawheed and they enter into Islam prior to dying, they will be judged upon that conclusion. And some of the scholars, they say, that may be the case with the hadith of the man, hadith al-bitaqah, the man who comes on the Day of Judgment, and he has 99 scrolls full of evil deeds. Every scroll, when you roll it out, it goes as far as the eyesight can see, and he has 99 of those filled with evil deeds. So then it is said to the man, هَلَّكَ حَسَنًا have you got any good deed? The man will say, La ya Rabbi, no my lord. But then it will be said to him, BAL, عندنا لك حسنا. Rather we do have a good deed for you. And then that parchment is brought out upon which it says, La ilaha illallah. And that outweighs all of the others. The scholars say, some of them in their explanation, that it could be, It could be, and it would make sense upon the hadith, that this man lived all of his life upon evil, upon shirk, upon evil, all of his life. 99 scrolls full of the evil deeds. But then just prior to death, he accepted Islam and died upon tawhid. So he had the la ilaha illallah. He didn't have anything else. He didn't have any prayer mentioned in the hadith didn't have any zakat mentioned in the hadith, no hajj, no nothing else. It just says one parchment with the shahada on it. So the scholars say no other actions are mentioned for him, that he had other good deeds, surely he must have prayed or something. Nothing is mentioned. They say maybe because it was right at the end of his life that he accepted tawheed, la ilaha illallah, and died upon that. So that shahada then outweighs all of the rest of his life. Of shirk and whatever it was upon And that's why it mentions Al-Islamu Yajubbu ma qablahu Islam, it covers up what comes before it And At-Tawbah tajubu ma qablaha Tawbah Repenting It covers up then And removes that which came before it So here the Prophet tells him If you die upon this that's your end result, then you will not be successful. And who is the Prophet talking to here? Even if it wasn't Imran ibn Hussein, who is it? A A companion. It's a companion. The Prophet is talking to a companion, telling him, that if you die upon that, you will not be successful. A companion even. Because if he dies upon that, it would be an act of Shirk So a Shaykh al oh, Some of the scholars they've mentioned here That this person was a companion And if he's being told this That if you die upon that action You won't be successful Then what therefore Of all of the other people Who fall into these actions And they are not even companions Not even tabi'een Not even tabi'een They're not from the three generations at all Not even close so the sheikh says here, uh, ولو ولم يتب منها ما أفلح أبدا. He would never be successful then. فهذا فيه دليل على أن الشرك لا يغثر حتى ولو كان شركا أصغر يعذب به. وإن كان لا يعذب تعذيب المشرك الشرك الأكبر فلا يخلد في النار لكن يعذب. And this is, as some of the scholars have mentioned, that a person who commits shirk, we know in the Quran it says In yushraka bih," that Allah does not forgive that you commit shirk along with him. So a person who dies upon major shirk or minor shirk will be punished. The difference being the one who dies upon major shirk will be punished in the hellfire forever. And the one who dies upon minor shirk will be punished for a time. Because he is not out of the fold of Islam with the minor shirk, he will be punished for a time and then removed. But they will both be initially punished, even the one who is upon minor shirk. Hence, when the Prophet said, you will never be successful, even if it was upon the minor shirk understanding, then it means you won't be successful, i.e. you will be punished for this, even if it is only for a time, you will be punished for it. Uh, And then, قال الشيخ رحمه الله في مسائله فيه شاهد لكلام الصحابة أن الشرك الأصغر أكبر من الكبائر Some of the companions, they mentioned this phrase or this statement that minor shirk is greater than the major sins. Minor shirk is greater than the major sins. From what respect are they talking about? We just mentioned that minor shirk, if you die upon it in accordance to the ayah, Inna Allah la yaghfiru an bih. That you will not be forgiven. You will be punished upon it. Even if it is only for a time. And then excused after that. But as for a person who dies upon the major sins, then there is an opinion of many of the scholars that major sins can be forgiven without punishment. It's possible. Other scholars have said it depends on the weighing and the scales and everything. But some of them have mentioned major sins could on the day of judgment be forgiven for a person without punishment upon them. So they would be lower level than minor shirk because minor shirk cannot be forgiven until you are punished for it. So the sheikh says this would indicate what some of the companions said that the minor shirk is greater than the major sins so what is the conclusion here ashahidu Minhad al Hadith li anna nabi zahir li anna an-nabiy sallallahu <laughs> alayhi wasallam istankara libsa alhalqa allati yuqsadu minha daf'u ad wa akhbara annaha la tazid sahibaha illa marada wa law annahu so it is very clear the point of this narration That the Prophet ﷺ is telling the man That if you die upon this way You will never be successful Indicating that it is an act of shirk To be wearing these items Bands and bracelets and necklaces and these affairs Believing that they have some type of Power in them as a means to help you from the evil eye and those affairs. We're not talking about. I remember once doing this chapter somewhere, and somebody asked the question, So, can we not wear jewelry? Of course, you can wear jewelry. The women, of course, they can wear jewelry. The men, of course, they can wear watches and things. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about wearing items where people believe these items have some effect in removing the evil eye and keeping away harm, certain types of bracelets or certain types of strings and certain types of necklaces that the people believe have an impact in keeping away the evil eye. As for jewelry, somebody wears a necklace, somebody wears a ring, somebody wears a watch. That's of course nothing to do with what we're talking about. If a person is wearing those things just as jewelry, but here we're talking about the one who wears items believing they are a means to protection. The final two narrations, we'll just mention them, there's only a couple. إِبْنِ عَامِرْ مَنْ تَعَلَّقَ تَمِيمَةً فَلَا أَتَمَّ اللَّهُ لَهُ وَمَنْ تَعَلَّقَ وَدَعَةً فَلَا وَدَعَ اللَّهُ لَهُ That whomsoever wears a tamima, Tamima then, that was a type of necklace. And in particular, they would put this onto their children. They would put it onto their children, believing that this particular type of necklace protects the children from the evil eye. وكذلك ما شابهها من كل ما يعلق من الخرزات وغيرها من الحروز والحجب فهذا ليس بخاص بالخرز وإنما هذا التفسير لبيان نوع من أنواع المعلقات ومنهم من يعلق النعل على الباب ويجعل وجه النعل مقابلا للشخص الآتي أو على السيارة ويظنون أن هذه الأشياء تدفع عنهم شر الحسد وكل هذا من أمور الجاهلية so this tamima, it is not specific to a necklace, but that is one of the meanings of what the, uh, in the times of Jahiliyyah, they used to put onto the children, believing that it protects them from the evil eye. But the Sheikh says it could be anything that you attach. You may attach some type of string onto your car, as some people attach it onto the rear view mirror. Some type of special string which is a means of protection for the car. And I think I mentioned once before, a few years ago I bought a car and it was from a practicing Christian. Or as he claimed, a European practicing Christian as he claimed. And when we were done, he had taken everything out of his car and the deal was done, I was going to go. There was one thing left in the car, this badge. Stuck on the windscreen. He said, This badge, I'm going to leave it for you. He said, look, I know, I know you are not upon the same belief as me. He knew I'm Muslim. He said, I know you are not the same belief as me, but this badge, I'm going to leave it for you. Miskini was a a simpleton. He said, I'm going to leave it for you because you know us, in our whichever church he mentions, some particular church that he follows, us, this is saint such and such. On the badge, there was a picture of some saint, like in the garments and all that kind of thing. He said, this is saint such and such, and he is the one, or it was a she maybe, is the one that protects the vehicle. If you leave this on your car, it will be safe. You won't be in an accident in this car. I'm going to leave this for you. And so he left it for two seconds until it was departed. After he went. He said, I'm going to leave this for you. It will protect your car. This is the saint such and such. And it does this and it does that And it protects your car Look at the practice of the Mushrikun Exactly what is being spoken about here What the Mushrikun used to do Attach this, attach that Attach necklace, attach a string Attach like this Now the Shaykh says people put a shoe On the front door of their house Again believing that this is some form of protection from evil Warding evil away from their homes So whomsoever does that Fala la Tamima, one of the meanings of it is people put these things on badges, necklaces, strings, whatever they are, they put these things onto the various items, believing that via them they will be able to achieve goodness. Because they will be a protection and keep away the harm. So if the harm is being kept away, then only Goodness is coming to you So they believe you will achieve goodness via them The hadith says They do that believing they will achieve that goal of goodness Allah will not complete their objective for them Allah will not complete their objective for them Rather they will end up with The evil or the affairs that they were fearing from And hoping this would protect them from فَلَا أَتَمَّ اللَّهُ لَهُ هَذَا دُعَى مِنَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِأَنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَتِمُّ لَهُ أموره. This is a dua from the Prophet وسلم that whomsoever attaches these things believing they will help him to achieve goodness then may Allah not give him that goodness. May Allah not complete his objectives for him that he's hoping for from those items. And the same with man taallaqa wada'atan that whomsoever attaches the wada'ah and that is something they used to get out of the ocean like the, the pearls and the shells that come, the shell and the pearl. They used to get that out of the ocean and they used to attach that onto their necks and into their uh, necklaces and onto their animals. And the hadith says, whoever does that, wearing those pearls and things that they collect from the oceans, believing again that these are a means to keep away the evil eye, falā اللَّهُ لَهُ وَدَعَ meaning to leave someone in peace. That Allah will not then, as a dua again, that may Allah not leave them in peace. They think these items, the pearl, etc., Wear that on yourself, on your animal, you'll be at ease, at peace. No harm will come to you. فَلَا وَدَعَ Then may Allah not leave them in peace. Rather the difficulty and the harm and the affairs, they come to them then. And in one narration it mentions, مَنْ تَعَلَّقَ تَمِيمَةً فقد Clear and blatant, Whomsoever wears... One of those items, then, he has committed shirk. And the final narration to finish today, then, Ibn Abi Hatim and Hudayfa, "That he saw a man in his hand a thread of wool, so he cut it off, and he said, 'What they believe more in this narration it mentions that Hudayfah ibn al-Yaman عنه, He saw a man wearing a string To help him Believing that it will help him And remove the fever that he was upon He had a fever And so he was wearing this piece of string Thinking that this is something that is a means That will cure him and remove the fever from him so when Hudayfa saw that, قَطَعَهُ He cut it off from him, cut it off from him, and then narrated upon him the statement of Allah. وَمَا يُؤْمِنُ أَكْثَرُهُمْ بِاللَّهِ إِلَّا وَهُمْ مُشْرِكُونَ Many of them do not believe in Allah, except that they are mushrikun, And this was in reference to the fact that many of them, they believed in الربوبيyyah, the mushrikun. But they did not accept Al-Uluhiyya. Al-Uluhiyya would mean that you put your complete trust in Allah, your dependence, your trust, your tawakkul in Allah. But instead, into the strings, into the other bracelets or necklaces that they believe will give them protection. So he narrated this ayah upon him. Many of them do not believe except that they fall into shirk. فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الشِّرْكَ قَدْ يَقَعْ وَيَكْثَرْ وَقُوعُهُ حَتَّى مِنْ أَهْلِ الْإِيمَانِ إِنْ كَانَ الْمُرَادُ الشرك الْأَصْغَرِ If the ayah though is in reference to a believer, many of the believers do not believe, except that they commit shirk, then that would be in reference to a believer falling into minor shirk, that they believe these are means for protection and in reality they are not means of protection. But this ayah, is it talking about minor shirk or major shirk in reality? Major shirk. So can we really say that the tafsir of it could be talking about actual believers and the meaning of it is minor shirk? It can be because it is known from the Salaf that sometimes when they would give an evidence for a particular affair, they would give an evidence for a level higher than what was actually occurring. A level more severe than what was actually occurring. That is the level of major shirk. If a believer is doing that, believing it's a means, but he knows Allah is the one who controls the affairs, that's only minor shirk. But if you quote this ayah upon them, referring to major shirk, it indicates the level of severity of what the person is doing, And also that it is a door to the major shirk. So it is known that the Salaf would sometimes use an evidence that is more severe than the actual situation to indicate the severity of that situation and where it can lead to. So that is another very clear evidence of Hudayfa cutting that piece of string off that man and telling him that they are quoting that ayah to him. Indicating once again that this is an act of shirk That brings us to the end of this particular chapter And next week insha'Allah ta'ala It's a continuation of this theme More about amulets and bracelets and necklaces and talismans And we'll get to the issue of What if you've got something on a necklace But inside is only Qur'an Many people will say, but we only put Qur'an in there, nothing else. So we'll get to that next week. And we'll get to the issue of ruqiyah. And what type of ruqiyah is permissible? What type of ruqiyah is not permissible? Those topics come in the next chapter. We'll begin that next week, insha'Allah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina ala alihi wa sallam. If anyone has anything to add, you may do so now. So when we talked about the means Sometimes it is very clear It's in the Quran and the Sunnah It's a legislative means The other type If it's not in the Quran and the Sunnah It can still be a means If it is validated through experience And direct connection You can prove that this leads to that A direct connection So now if people wear these strings and amulets and other things and they say we wear them and we do start to feel better and we put them on our children and he got better, he was ill for three weeks, we put this on him, two days later he was better and I myself, I was ill and I was this and I was that and I put these things on, they were given to me by the imam, I put them on and three days later, one week later, I was cured. As Shaykh Al-Thaymeen mentioned, that this may occur and people may well be telling the truth that after a few days they got better all of a sudden when they put it on he said one of the reasons behind that is because of the level of weakness people have meaning what the level of weakness they have in their hearts and their trust in Allah leads them to have such a great dependence on these items that psychologically when they put them on, they suddenly start to think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm better, I'm getting better today. And in reality, if the doctor was to check them and their pressures and their everything, he'd say, you're 10 times worse than yesterday. he said, no, no, I'm feeling better today. I put this thing on yesterday, I can feel it, I can feel it. As <laughs> Shaykh al said, sometimes that can be the case. They are so weak inside that they have such dependence on these things. You put them on, the imam tells him, this, this will cure you, put this on. He puts it on, suddenly he starts feeling, yeah, I'm feeling a bit more energetic today. I'm feeling a bit, I think I can get up and walk today. And the reality is, actually medically, he's no better than he was yesterday. Maybe even worse than he was. But psychologically, they have such dependence in these things, they think that they are getting better and they are uh, 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 medically improving. And you can as Shaykh al said, you may well actually start to get better in and of yourself because of your psychological state, you now think you are feeling better and so your body does start to feel better, but that isn't because of this. That's their psychological state and their weakness in attachment to these things and the opposite is also true. If somebody was completely attached to it and he's ill, somebody's got some illness, long-term illness, the imam tells them put this on. He puts it on and he's wearing it and he's wearing it and he's still got that illness constant. And then one day he takes it off. The next day, now I can't get up today. Today I feel so much worse. And the reality is medically everything. Do the tests. He's exactly the same as yesterday. Maybe even better. But now because that's gone, I feel, today I think that's it. I'm finished today. Call everybody. So now because it's gone, the weakness has occurred within him. So sometimes a sheikh al Amin said, it's not about that there's no tajruba there, that is from their psychological state. Secondly, if somebody wears these things and it improves their state, then it can be from the Baab of istidraj, that Allah is testing them and putting them to trial, that they are upon this misguidance and they are delving into that more and more and more, and they're doing it more and more, and as istidraj, Allah is increasing the test upon them, they think, This is helping them and in reality they are falling more and more into shirk. And that's like, we're going to get to it later, when Shaykh al-Islam mentioned the people used to go to the graves and call upon the dead and the dead would rise up out of the graves. And of course it was not the dead, it was the jinn who used to take the appearance of that dead imam and rise up as the appearance of that imam. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said this was istidraj for those mushrikun. They said, look, the Imam from 50 years ago when I was younger, I remember it was his face, he came out when I went to his grave. And in reality it was the jinn. So they continue now believing that something good is coming out of it and it is only a further test and trial upon them. So these are not means and means that are established have to be with a direct connection between the means and the end result. Like the scholars give the example of the farmers, they know which month of the year to sow their seeds, By experience through centuries In those lands, in those areas If they do it then it comes out good If they don't, they miss that opportunity Then through experience of centuries Directly, you know, the harvest always comes out bad Anybody else? So we'll get to that next week That's like Quran then So he's uh, taking parts of the Quran Huh? Yeah, so that's Qur'an. We'll come to that next week. Somebody who uses only Qur'an. Because he now, if you try to say anything to him, he's going to say, look, all of this is just Qur'an. There's nothing else there. It's just Qur'an. We'll come to that next week, inshallah. We're going to do that chapter, all of it next week. What does uh, does 786 in Islam mean? 786 in Islam means absolutely nothing. (laughs) 786. Just the other day I was driving and mashallah, something, something, L whatever 786 who knows how much you get for those number plates so 786 doesn't mean anything in fact worse than not meaning anything if anything it is towards the sides of magic it is mentioned how the magicians when you see those old numbers the old arabic script 786 and it's within their symbols and things they use so not only just nothing but it could even be on the other side of things but Islamically, it is nothing. It is not Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, as they claim. Can you get punishment um, on the Day of Judgment
1: if you didn't get one in the grave?
0: Can you get punishment on the Day of Judgment if you and didn't get same. one? Oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. So a person who has absolutely no punishment in the grave, he is upon absolute blessing in the grave completely, it would seem to indicate... That therefore, the person does not have any punishment in the afterlife. Because if a person is upon purity in his grave, no punishment occurs to him, the door to paradise is opened up and he sees his seat in paradise, they would seem to indicate that he is from the successful in the afterlife. But like we said before, it is possible that success can be absolute and it can be partial partial success is still success partial success meaning that somebody is maybe cleansed from whatever errors they had and purified from it and then they are in paradise so they are successful but otherwise with the door being opened up into paradise and he sees his seat and then he makes dua my lord establish the day of judgment now establish the hour now because he wants to take his place in there then it would perhaps indicate he would be from the successful completely because other affairs of shortness, if a person has shortness, shortcomings, they can be wiped out on the Day of Judgment by multiple other means. One, just from the terrors and the frights of the Day of Judgment. Scholars have mentioned that just from the difficulties of that day, it is a form of expiation of some of your sins. And then the shafa'ah, the intercession that occurs on that day, and the rights that you take of the zalim, and all of these things that occur... Then it could be that your shortcomings are wiped out or that overall your weighing scale is heavier on the good deeds than the bad deeds and therefore again you are from the successful. So all of that would seem to indicate success. Wearing PPE, so uh, face masks and other types of garments. This, it's connected to something we're going to study yet in another chapter later on. Because the topic of contagion, that's what it comes down to basically, is going to come in another chapter later on. That's one of the chapters of Kitab al-Tawheed about contagion. It's one of the hadith and one of the topics that comes later on. So if you accept the opinion that contagion exists, which is one of the established opinions. And that's the opinions of the scholars today when you see all of the actions going on, all of the Muslim countries and their protocols and all that they did, was based upon the opinion that contagion does exist. Because if a Muslim country, their scholars of that country for example, and their Muslim rulers of that country don't believe in any such thing as contagion occurring, then there would be no meaning to distancing in their prayers and other things. So the scholars of our time, they have the opinion that contagion exists. Uh, scholars who are alive now and those from just recent times as well, Sheikh Al Albani, Sheikh Bin Baz, Sheikh Al Thaymin. Now in our time, Sheikh Fawzan, the Mufti, Sheikh Abdul Al Al Nasr Al Faqihi Everybody, they all have the opinion that contagion exists. So if you have that opinion that contagion exists, then you are going to take legislated means from that contagion, which is in the Sunnah. There are hadith which the scholars who take the opinion of contagion have explained to be means for protection from that contagion. Of course, the scholars who don't accept contagion exists, then they explain those narrations in a different way. But those who do, then they explain it upon the way in one of the parts of the explanation. This isn't all of it, but one aspect of the explanation is to take the means to protect yourself from that contagion and so they use the hadith about the camels when the prophet said don't take the uh, uh, healthy camels to the sick camels those scholars who take the opinion of contagion they say it's simple and straightforward the prophet is saying don't take the healthy camels to the weak uh, uh, sick camels lest the contagion occurs between them other scholars they say no but it means something else and they give other interpretations But the basic explanation for the scholars who say contagion exists, one of the basic aspects of that, and it's one aspect of it, is that contagion exists and it could occur between the camels. Because when the Bedouin came to the Prophet and he said to him that, I have healthy camels, and then a sick camel goes in amongst those healthy camels, and then all of them become sick. So the Prophet said to him, who made the first one sick? Meaning the first one couldn't have got it from contagion. The first, first one, he didn't get it from contagion. That camel didn't get it from contagion. Where did he get it from? By the decree of Allah. Allah. Allah decreed that first camel to become sick. And then the other camels, they all become sick again by the decree of Allah. Not by contagion in and of itself And this is the point that they make In jahiliyyah The mushrikun used to believe that contagion happens by itself That the germs or whatever you say these days That they transfer and this happens and that happens And contagion moves and transfers by itself Outside of the decree of Allah That's what they used to believe in jahiliyyah so, when the Prophet said to the man, the man came and said, basically, the Bedouin was saying, Look, contagion's happening. He was basically saying to the messenger, You're saying there's no contagion. The hadith, La Adwa. The Bedouin was saying to the messenger, You're saying that there's no contagion, but I can see contagion happening. That's basically what he was saying. I put the sick camel with my healthy ones and they all get sick. So, what, what does it mean that there's no contagion? So, then the Prophet said to him, It means who made the first one sick? Allah decreed it. So who made the other sick? Allah decreed it. Is that therefore a negation of contagion? Not at all. as sheik al-Albani said, it's an affirmation of it. Because nowhere in the hadith did the Prophet clarify to him that his default understanding was wrong. What was his default understanding of the Bedouin? That contagion is happening. The Prophet was simply clarifying to him That if it is happening, then know that it's only happening by the decree of Allah. Because who made the first one sick? Allah. Who makes the other one sick? By the decree of Allah. So the Prophet was highlighting to him that yes, what you're reporting and what you're seeing, it's true. The Prophet never negated any of that. As Shaykh al-Albani said, the Prophet never negated anything from the Bedouin. He just highlighted to him. The important point that whatever is happening then, whatever you are narrating, whatever you are seeing, okay. But it's by the decree of Allah if contagion happens. If that sick camel mixes with the others and they become sick. But that, we'll come to all of that detail later. The point is though, if you believe in that opinion and you accept that opinion, then you are allowed to take obviously legislative means or means that are established to... Protect yourself from that contagion So these days now they say wear masks They say all the other PPE, the uh, uh, personal protective equipment I think they call it The doctors and the nurses, they wear all of these things Upon their understanding of contagion occurring through Mixing basically That a contagion occurs through mixing So these masks Wearing a mask because they say that coughing and everything and droplets and whatever they say airborne and these things that it transfers like that so if you wear the mask they say it reduces your uh, uh, transmission or reduces your possibility of catching it as a means if that is the case and that's how they have explained it medically then there is no scholar who has rejected that no scholar has rejected that that this is not a means and it cannot be declared as a means, and it cannot be used, and if you do it, then it's going to be a means that is not legislative, nor understood in the creational sense, because in the creational sense, you know, you can say there are doctors who don't accept contagion, there are kuffar. Kuffar doctors who don't accept contagion. Even kuffar doctors, there are scientists who don't believe in contagion existing. So they're obviously not going to accept masks and these kinds of things anyway, but others from the Muslim scientists and the Muslim uh, uh, government uh, specialists and professors and everybody, they've all come to this conclusion medically that masks and things are of some benefit or that they are of something that can help in this situation of a spread of a virus. So no scholar and the scholars themselves are doing it and no scholar has said that this is an affair of shirk, that this is something which is not a means that is permissible to use. And who are the most knowledgeable of the religion? You have to think about this. This isn't science. This is religion. Who is the most knowledgeable about the religion, about what is shirk and what is not shirk? (laughs) Ahlul ilm, the scholars whom Allah told us to return back to. Who is most knowledgeable about these affairs of religion, of what can be considered uh, shirk, what is not considered a shirk? The scholars of the sunnah. And all of the scholars, they are witnessing exactly this happening in their own countries. They have to implement it themselves. And nobody has ever said that this is not a means that can be considered as a means. And that it is therefore going to fall into the chapter we've just talked about. That it's therefore a, a, an act of shirk to where this believing this will help you. And nobody should believe obviously that this is what you put your trust into. You don't put your trust into the mask and to the and Even the mask as they say Medically, scientifically doesn't do that much You don't put your trust Into the mask You don't put your trust into the PPE You could have all of that on And there are examples are there not Of uh, uh, doctors and nurses All of it on, full And yet still they end up testing positive And whatever else So you don't put your trust into these matters They are only Means The means can be used But you don't put your trust into the means And this is what Sheikh Abdullah al-Bukhari basically said recently That uh, these affairs are means Legislatively you can take those means And obviously you do not put your trust into the means If a person starts thinking As long as I've got the mask on, I'm safe As long as I've got the PPE on, I'm safe I'm not going to get sick Nothing's going to happen to me This is going to protect me That's obviously a false type of and belief. But if a person knows this is simply a means That they, some of them amongst the medical fields And scientific fields They've all come to the conclusion that Okay you should wear masks And the rulers have implemented it So you're going to do that As a means for general uh, implementation of the means To a f- form of protection from this COVID Or from the diseases generally then that isn't, a means of, that isn't an act of shirk. And no scholar has said it. And that's really what it comes down to here. If the scholars can't work out that wearing this mask is an act of shirk, who's going to work it out? You or me are going to work out, no, this is an act of shirk. And yet all the scholars of the world are going to be doing it, and they are the most knowledgeable of everybody on this world about the religion of Allah, yet they can't work out this is shirk, these masks, but we have. That cannot be the case. Are we more knowledgeable than them in the affairs? They know about the affairs and all this COVID is there. Masks and PPE and social distancing. And if they've given Islamic verdicts on these affairs, then so be it. If a person disagrees with the issue of contagion, you don't believe contagion exists, you don't believe other affairs, then you're going to have different opinions and you can have them. You can have them. There's no problem in somebody believing contagion doesn't exist. It's an Islamic legitimate opinion. There are scholars in our time like Sheikh Muqbil who had that opinion. It's a legitimate opinion, no problem. But then the only thing you can't do is that it's impossible for us to put that opinion onto a world stage now. Because that opinion doesn't exist on a world stage. There's no country in the world that I know of who takes the no contagion scientific opinion and medical opinion as their basis in their country. I don't know any country If you go to a primary school or a high school, when they teach you science, that they teach you there's no such thing as contagion. Everywhere you go, in the whole world, it's the opinion of contagion. So if you don't believe that, it's a legitimate Islamic opinion. But the state of the Muslim countries, Saudi, Pakistan, Kuwait, Emirates, wherever it might be, they are doing their protocols upon the basis that there is. So that's how they've implemented things and they've got these protocols being implemented upon that basis. But it cannot be deemed a shirk. Shaykh Abdul Bukhari was asked this recently. They asked him about uh, uh, the affairs of COVID and what's going on and everything. And the mask thing was mentioned. And he said, no, it cannot be. He he didn't accept. He didn't accept basically that this can be deemed as a form of shirk. Only in the instance if a person believes that this item is going to protect him and this item is going to keep him safe, then you're putting your trust into That item, that's obviously coming into our chapter. But a person who doesn't do that, then how have you fallen into shirk? You know that's not how it is. It is just a means that they've given you and that they have come to the conclusion of. Some of them around the world today, in the countries, then so be it. That is not a means of shirk and the scholars have all implemented it. So it it cannot be. I cannot understand how anybody would say that it's a means of shirk when the scholars themselves are within that exact same practice and doing it. And they haven't realised that it's a means of shirk yet. Mm. Uh,
1: You asked the question uh, about the the hadith related to the man wearing the bracelet. Is this major or minor shirk? Mm. Um, And it it, it basically found out that it's dependent upon the ablution, right? So then, you know, with regards to like the um, the the shells. So if a woman, maybe take your wife on holiday is a nice thing jewelry is the shell is it wrong to wear the shell or is
0: it just the akida aspect to it no it's the akida aspect to it if that shell is known to be a particular type that they wear for those beliefs then you shouldn't but if it's a general type of uh, ornament or general type of jewelry it's permissible if it's known to be a particular type they use and they always wear then you don't wear it but general other jewelry it's all allowed last one then go on Any uh, book which has the name of Allah in it, uh, 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 sacred speech within it, and you need to get rid of it, you can either bury it or burn it. Hmm.
1: Is it it okay to give it child names like Abdul Jabbar or Abdul
0: Mutakabbir? Uh, Any of the names of Allah. Any of the names of Allah, when you put Abd to it, then it's permissible. (laughs) Ta'beed with the names of Allah are permissible. You just have to establish that something is a name of Allah. And then Abd with it, it's permissible. We'll have to leave it there. It's getting late. We'll continue next week, inshallah ta'ala.